0: Each position is a, is a different journey in terms of when they're ready, like each player's profile physically, technically, tactically is different. So like if Rico is at another club as a five foot eight fullback, but a, a club that didn't play the way we played, would he be playing in their first team at 17, 18? Maybe not, despite his technical level.
1: The official Manchester City podcast.
2: Welcome to the latest episode of the official Man City podcast, hosted by me, Rob Pollard, and as always, former City defender Nader Manua and today we've decided to do a bit of a Manchester City Academy special so we are living through a bit of a golden period for our Academy here at City winning trophies on the pitch producing great footballers who make it into Pep's team and also great footballers who have a career elsewhere so we thought it was time uh, to delve deeply into our Academy so we're going to be joined today by the under-21s manager Brian Barry Murphy and following him, we're going to be interviewing Ben Wilkinson, our under-18s manager. And Ben is actually going to be joined by his father, who was a manager himself. He in fact, was the last Englishman to win the league title in England, uh, Howard. So, Nadam, as a former Manchester City academy man, are you looking forward to this one?
3: Yeah, you know, I'm probably a bit biased being an academy man myself. But, you know, these are the best episodes for me. I think I can look back on my sort of academy life, academy career, and see how much it's changed. You know, it's a privilege to get the chance to come on the campus and see where they do it but to hear from some of the people who will shape the careers of those young, young men and young players within this system, you know, it's more than just an important academy for City, it's actually an important academy for world football when you think about it, for the amount of talent that comes in, the amount of talent that comes out, you know, why not speak to the people who get the chance to see it all and sort of shape the futures of so many? Okay, so here
2: we go then, uh, a Manchester City Academy special, and we'll start with our conversation with Under-21's manager, Brian Barry-Murphy. Brian, thank you for joining us on the official Man City podcast. I want to start with, well, with your father, actually. For those who don't know... and I thought this was about him. It, for those who don't know, Brian's got a very famous father. He's a, a bit of a Gaelic football legend, is that correct?
1: Yeah. When I first came to England for about... Um, I came when I was 20, and I'm 44 now, so that was a long time ago. And for about six six to seven years, there was um, no acknowledgement of, of who he was or what he did. Um, and that somewhere someone did an article when I was at Preston and word just got out about this, uh, about who my father was. And obviously you could deny it no longer. And then before you know it, every season will pop out about, uh, what, what's he doing? Um, and I suppose trying to like explain to people in the UK, what the sport was and people would say about hurling and, mm. and uh, American people used to say about hurling is that with the, um, uh, with the sticks in Scotland. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> it's an Irish sport, like with uh, with sticks in our version of it. And, um, and then it just kind of, eventually it just became normal for, um, for people to ask me about my father first rather than about myself which was always the case in Ireland growing up and uh, it was almost uh, going back in time for myself.
2: What's it like growing up with a with a famous father like that especially a sports person?
1: Yeah I, I suppose when I think about it uh, it would be similar to I suppose somebody in the UK growing up with uh, a very famous uh, football player but I suppose in Ireland hurling is is kind of um, the be all and end all of local life and it becomes such a huge part of our everyday existence because it's an amateur sport and essentially it's very localized or regionalized in the sense that wherever you grow up you play and that's your your, your team for life so there is every now and again somebody will go from a, d- a different team to uh to a different team because of uh, work-based commitments but essentially it's a representation of, of where you come from it's very tribal so were you uncool because you were playing football yeah so in the very early stages of my life they, uh, we soccer as it was then known was yeah. in ireland in, in, the, in the 70s and 80s was very much um an outcast sport and, and my father was one of the first ones who, who went from playing hurling to sporadically playing soccer games but there was a system in place where um if you were found out to be playing soccer you could be suspended from the local games wow which and it was pretty serious stuff at the time because of all our history and, and what have you but yeah. eventually it became more common and then obviously our our exports became more successful and well known and then then it essentially became acceptable for the likes of myself to, to partake in this sport more often and uh it's probably yeah. It's it's an interesting story. I think of of probably uh, the complex nature of, of of my country's history.
2: So when did you start getting into football? How old were you, and, and how did that that materialise? Uh,
1: when I was in school, like I said, yeah, um, we 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 say soccer, but football. You feel a bit cringy saying soccer because it's kind of the way the American soccer is But I started getting into it more in school, and uh, when I look back at my um, my teenage years retrospectively. I definitely had this sense of whenever I played Gaelic sports or Irish sports, um, every game I would go to, there would would be this, there would always be these murmurings about, uh, that's that's that guy's son, you know, and I would pick up on it and be very conscious of it and and sometimes I would really enjoy it, but sometimes without ever admitting it, I used to kind of um, almost feel a little bit like, oh, they're speaking about me again and I think it kind of subconsciously made me go towards uh, football because I, I never had that association, I was almost like kind of just another one of the players. And kind of forged my own way and and, uh, and had then the usual um, Irish career path was you'd go on trial to different English clubs and and eventually you'd succeed and pick up a club. I I really didn't have that journey. I went to to clubs like Arsenal, Celtic, Man United, but never got offered uh, the route that my peers had got. So I ended up staying in the League of Ireland as a 16-year-old and then stayed there until I was 21 and then signed for David Moyes at Preston. But so my, my path was really to stay in education and uh, and play in my local league, which it was a good grounding because I was essentially playing with uh, senior pros of all ages, just in a
3: in, in a level that was probably not as high as the English lower leagues. Which uh, peers do you mean that sort of made that made the way over to the UK and played well from a young age? Yeah, well, I, I grew up a
1: little bit, so like my age bracket was like Richard Dunn. Uh, Robbie Keane was a year younger. We had players like Steve McPhail, who was at Leeds. Uh, so like that was all my era, really and uh, I, I got a sense kind of when I was around 16 or 17 that I that I was good in comparison to my schoolmates and my and my local friends but I had a, I had a real clear sign that I wasn't as good as Dunny or I wasn't as good as Robbie and like different guys there's loads of psychology in sport and I was there say like oh that's a real limited mindset but I thought like no not in this instance I just know I'm not <laughs> you know because I, mean? I saw how good they were and and I thought like yeah I, I could still do my best and try to maximise my own ability and I established myself as, as a good young player in the League of Ireland and then started getting um, recognition with the, with the under-21s in Ireland and eventually signed for Preston. So I uh, kind of thought, well, I'm at a level here that I feel as if is, is, is very good and, and, and provides me with a with a career um, outside of Ireland because in Ireland at the time, I was playing for Cork City on, the wages were like £75 a week. So you're going to local um, college alongside that, but really you're having to think about ways of, of earning a, a living and uh, I wouldn't be able to continue playing on, on that kind of wage eventually if I moved out of, of home and became a younger man, you know.
2: So when did you realise that coaching would be something that you,
1: you would try your hand at? I, I do liken my, my career path to almost like when we speak about a journeyman or such. Um, I ended up at Preston. We, my, I suppose my significant one at Preston was we got to the playoff finals um, in the championship in 1999. And it was my second season in English football. And I was very much a squad member. I would have had like um, 35 appearances on the bench. Um, and then we got to the final. It was the final at Cardiff. It was Cardiff back then where Michael Ricketts scored a hat-trick for Bolton. And um, and they went up and 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 we didn't and, and the following summer uh, David left to go to Everton, Craig Brown came in and I just started going on loan to um, I went on loan to um, Hartlepool and Place and and End, So with all due respect, not very glamorous loans, but <laughs> but my next move was to Sheffield Wednesday because uh, Chris Turner was there, which was a great club. But was on a, was on a pretty uh, steep decline and had had gone from having the De and Carboni's to to a group of lads who were trying their best in, in the championship but not good enough. And then we got relegated. So that was a pretty chastening experience and then kind of got released from there and then you're looking for a club you're, you're at the kind of sliding doors moment where you're looking for a club in the UK to sustain your career or you decide to go back home but there was always this feeling amongst me and, and my fellow countrymen that you almost didn't want to go back home because of how it was viewed does so that make sense and you, and you kind of and you want to stay for as long as you can and uh, and the next few years at Bury were okay but I ended up going to Rochdale and working on the Key Phil as a he, they got promoted back to League One and he brought me in as um an experienced midfielder who he felt could help the younger players and and before you knew it, I just kind of st- had had starting, again, subconsciously taking on that kind of mentoring or guiding role, trying to help young players because uh, it was a very small club, but had a very um, proud recent history of producing young players and, and and providing them with a pathway into league football. And he wanted to make that into something special and almost use me as somebody who could play and help the players in league one and also nurture the young talent and make them feel more comfortable in in, in league football, which can be. Quite tough times.
3: You've tried to say that you were a journeyman there. When you were playing professionally, did you think you were a journeyman or is it something you saw at the end of your career as you look back?
1: I think when I look back retrospectively, I think um, at the time, though, like I said to you, um, I felt as if I just wasn't as good as the top players who were exciting at Premier League level. You know, mm. like, uh, you'd have played against uh, yeah. Robbie and those guys who were like yeah, exceptional. They're, they're, players.
3: But they're better than 90% yeah. of all players yeah, anyway, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I suppose that's what we were judging ourselves against. So you probably do see certain players make like, it in into the Premier League who probably aren't as, as good as those guys. Yeah. But I just had this feeling that maybe there's a limit mindset. I thought if I got into the Premier League, I'd probably be beyond where I was um, capable of playing. And, and it never happened. So um,
3: you could argue both ways. It was. Yeah. Do you want to tell you what was really interesting? This is uh, a link to Patrick Vieira. Hopefully I'll have him on the podcast at some point. The most humble there ever was. So he came to play at City for a year. And Patrick's like an idol to so many people. He'd watched the Premier League. You know, he had the Keen Vieira thing. Like He's king of it all. Yeah. And I think we were sitting on a bus one time and we were just chatting away and I'm still sitting across from thinking, how's Patrick Vieira sitting across from me? This is so surreal. We started talking and then he mentioned one of his biggest regrets. He said he wished that during his playing career, he just kept it simpler. Patrick Vieira said that while sitting across from me. And I was like, well, what do you want me to do? If you think that you should have kept it simpler, let's be very clear here. I'm not going to try anything because I'm trying to give you the ball. And if you're trying to give the ball to somebody else, and I think... When somebody that's that great can be that self-aware in terms of their own abilities and those around them, you know, there is a thing there, self-awareness. It's not. I don't think it's necessarily a limited mindset. Yeah. It's to understand that not everybody is the difference maker, but you can still do a significant job and get better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think, you know what I mean? Mm. I think that's the thing. So he sounds like he's being down on himself. You get to This, this, There's a certain element that needs to exist within that. Yeah.
2: What about your style? Because obviously Rochdale, uh, when you were manager there, um, you, you were known for playing a really attractive brand of football and I'm presuming that's the reason why City came and, and offered you the job because we play a particular way and, and we want our young players to play a particular way given the managers who you, who you played for did you take it from them or, or is this this way of playing the game and the way you see the game have you developed that kind of
1: independently of those influences um, I just had this I like I had again a significant, significant moment towards the end of my career where I thought um, I was playing maybe 10-15 games in League One but I was playing at this point where I no longer I no longer had this sense of um, anxiety or, or, or fear about uh, failing anymore or going back home. And it was like almost like liberating for me to play in this way where um, I wouldn't say it didn't matter, but I just had a freedom in the way I played. And I thought if I had this when I was younger, I may have challenged that where I could have gone because always oh, at Sheffield Wednesday, we were at the bottom of the table or you're worrying about getting released the next contract. And it definitely had a significant impact on um, on your ability to express yourself You're in almost all moments, playing in fear almost. I think so. Yeah, I think so. And, and the more the more I've the more I've learned, I just thought if I can um, show young players the value of of, of being really confident and expressive, um, and almost enjoying making mistakes and, and failing, I can I can really make them into having the best possible careers they can have. And something that I felt held me held me back almost wouldn't hold them back. And uh, it's happened quite a lot in 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 my previous role and now here where. You see certain players who are definitely um, amazing talents but have certain things that hold them back. But I am noticing the younger players of today don't seem to have, um, maybe not in different ways, but they don't seem to have the same anxiety about uh, different situations until yeah. they encounter them, I think.
3: Yeah, I think that. I think that's fair. And I don't know if you're the same as me, but I've, I saw so many players across the years who were great players in training, make some really brave decisions in training. But then as soon as the lights are out there and it's a match day, they sort of kind of go within themselves because mm. they have that sort of fear. But I think one thing that's changed across the years is the person on the side saying, keep doing it, keep doing it. Like in, um, I've seen some of the games, say City have played this season, where it looks like something's not going well according to how the manager sees it. So the conservative thing within me is like, oh, just change it, just change it. Revert back to type. But no, no. The more aggressive say, keep doing it because it's the right thing to do. And I think that's what's changed across the years. Yeah. Because I had... it was Harry Redknapp, who was my manager at QPR, and he always used to say before the game, say, good players play, get the ball down and play. And then we'd start playing. He says, no, no, get it forward. This is too risky. <laughs> at that point, that's not developing players. No, That's just reacting to something that's going on outside. You know what I mean? And that, that does affect the way that people develop as players, I believe. Do
2: you tell the young players that if you make a mistake, it doesn't matter, try it again. This is the way we do things. If it doesn't go right the first time, the second time, the third time, do it a
1: fourth time. I think there's there's an important difference between um, it depends what the mistake is. Yeah. I think if it's something that we're trying to coach as part of our um of, of our syllabus to create the best possible our own players that they want to see at first team level and the club want to produce to enable them to have um, the best careers they can have. I think we have to absolutely empower them to to know what that looks like. If it's something that you think is um is not part of the plan or not beneficial to them, I think then we there's still a place for that uh, directness or, or or teaching players directly because it's almost gone away from that, as they didn't reference, like, oh, every know at the moment can be about like, um, you know, this is okay, that's okay, whatever, you know, we have to be clear on, on, on what is, we believe to be uh, in the player's best interest based on our professional qualifications. I think that's important to give that clear distinction between those two elements.
3: Yeah, for sure. And what I would say as well, from my perspective with this, is that I think for the way coaching has changed so much across the years, when you look back at David Moyes from when you first started yeah. compared to even potentially David Moyes now. Yeah. Everyone is a link within the chain itself. So if one person is, is trying to do the right thing and it's not working out, if that person stops trying to do the right thing, then it affects everybody. Yeah. Like if you say, for example, to one of the fullbacks, go into midfield when the ball's on this side, but they've lost the ball a couple of times and they stop going in there, before you know it, it affects everything. It's like a house of cards as such. And I think that's the difference, I believe, between a more modern thinking manager who knows the importance of everybody continuing to stick to the plan versus those who just all of a sudden just react and get really conservative by nature because it might stop you from losing. But will it get you the win? And I think that, in my opinion, I think that's the that's a the real difference. The, the, I like we could go into like hours of um
1: of what I've got from the manager here, but the this, the obsession with this kind of aligned plan and the beauty of top level elite sports references basketball, NFL, whatever, is that like uh, you, Nate, and me will have like small different opinions of what is best for each individual game. But those conversations are for like early in the week, or early in the season, and then once once we decide on this is the way, I think you just from him like you guess you just get like this fear so yeah. vision of this is this it. is this. this is it. Yeah. If you don't want to do it, like you better like show it
3: now <laughs> Exactly, you're gonna be seen. Like <laughs> this, know, is, this, this is this is it. it. So
1: it's it's you get this the sense of being around him is is that like you yeah. know once one, once once every now and then, I've seen him once once twice go. Like, he's not quite sure of there Was references? Remember the Man United game last year where he was he was on the program, wasn't it? Where he said, "I'm not quite sure what they're going to do." Mm. Yeah, and then it was yeah, almost yeah. like over to you guys in the moment have to adapt quickly and yeah. and even said about um, Leicester last week with Dean coming in for the game. We don't know what they're going to do, so we have to be really open to adapting in the first 10-15 minutes. Yeah, mm. but I've seen him like where it's the opposite of that, and like he has a clear vision of what you want,
3: and everybody's on board. I think that's quite beautiful. I think exactly, yeah, it and, I th- yeah. and I think that's why he's one of the best ever. But I think you're probably in the same situation where, say, as a player walking out onto the field, one of the worst feelings you can have is not knowing what you're supposed to be doing. I hate that. Like they hate it with man. passion. But some managers leave you in that spot. I that, yeah. But then the opposite's true when you step in there then you know exactly what you're going to be doing and how it affects everything. Pep's team have the
2: clearest style of play, don't
3: they? And it it filters through the the
2: levels here, doesn't it? I mean, the 18s and and the under-21s try and replicate as much as possible that high-intensity style of football, playing 4-3-3 generally, playing on the front foot, trying to win the ball back quickly. Those principles kind of filter through, don't
1: they? Yeah, I think so. Um, I was going to go with that. Even before, when I came from Ireland, there was always this... uh, this vision of the man city academy when when you were there i think we had uh, people like donald McDermott, but you remember and ashley grimes yeah, was always, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 when yeah. we first came from Ireland, it was always this vision of the man city academy it was always kind of um that's one reason i was quite nervous about meeting them <laughs> there, was, no, there was there was always this aura about the um of the plat lane days where you guys had all these great players yeah um man united brought through the class of 92 and all these but there was always the sense that if you got into the academy in Platte lane it was really produced like this kind yeah. of um you had a it had, it had a kind of a mystical quality yes that's right because donald yeah. came from ireland was kind of one of our yeah, um, yeah. our best exports and, and stuff so the academy's always been that way so it's interesting for me now to see that it's still retained that sense of so many local players still so involved and some Barbara Squares are still the local oh, ones mm-hmm. and they almost carry that mantra through which is uh, it's important but in terms of the, the club philosophy it's uh, I think it's evolved in nature but we still have this um, uh, Jason's obviously leaving now to go to Southampton we still have this overriding kind of uh, godfather figure of, of Chiki, who's kind of like uh, died in the wool Barca where you still have to um, I definitely feel enemy. you have to supply Two wingers who are on the touchline every single game and they have to run in behind and take players on. Yeah. And he essentially loves seeing like a single six. Yeah. So like this player of like I think it links back to the Clive days, doesn't it? Where yeah, exactly, we, yeah. our players think about what we look for. I think he's essentially looking for a Busquets or a yeah. or a Pep or um or a Xavi. Mm. And like if you want to um evolve that in your own way in certain ways, I think it's fine. But I think if you were to go away from that, then it wouldn't be kind of coaching the way the club wanna be uh, wanna be developing players. So I think it's still significant that there's a clear identity of of the way the team should look and within that then the individuals will all have small kind of differences of, of the way they play but those wingers are so synonymous with the club I think based on what he wants to see hmm. at the top level
2: How would you get the young lads to like you so much because whenever did, we... oh, Do they like him? Yeah. Oh they just do Just check it out okay, They do just... we, I've, traveled, I've been so I did all three uh, UEFA Youth League games and uh, myself and Brian would be sat at the back of the plane and... we got our own seat to the back no, I was
3: going to say it must be <laughs> nice There's <huh? laughs> the player... a big change for me this way
2: The <laughs> players love him so how do you do Because that is not easy, you know. Um, they, yeah. But they're all you, they but all, they all really yeah. like you as I'm well. Not
1: be, yeah, I, like this is not self-deprecation, but like I, I would say though, i have just challenged Rob that, like it'll, it, people say to me, what's the difference between managing in the first team, which you did in Rothschild and being here? I'd say not a whole lot in terms of the dressing room. There's exactly that dynamic of um, certain players will think you're great because they're always playing, but there'll definitely be players within that dressing room who like are thinking like, um, I won't use bad language on here, but like he's not giving me a chance or will feel we are done. So there's always that dynamic that I think um, you have to be uh, mindful of and just I think for the players who are not playing it, the challenge is, is is even more significant now because of how much pressure they feel as young boys that you have to give them real support I think and, um, and empathy and, and make sure that they feel as if they have a value in terms of uh, what you can do for them moving forward so we always I think I think we don't speak a lot about what it's like to be a coach or, or previously a manager for me but not very much a coach I think you carry that weight of, of constantly checking yourself to make sure that you're um, that you're giving everyone in our group the required attention and the required support to uh, to make sure that if they're going to go and train with Pep they're prepared but if they're going to go and trying to find a club at, I reference Derby and Burnley because uh, we had Cuckoo last season who from an early stage of last season wasn't going to get a contract at Manchester City so I was looking for that next step and CJ went to Burnley but to examples, so you're almost like you feel a deep responsibility to make sure that these players are provided with the the tools to cope when they go on to the next level and one of the big pitches Jason did to me when I came here was about providing that support based on where I'd come from that I had a um, a knowledge or or had experience what it was like to be in about the lower leagues and, and preparing the players for what it looks like in, in, in the transition into English football. It's hard to think.
3: Yeah, for you and your personality based on where you've been and and such, do you think it's easier for you to adapt to coaching the younger people or to be involved in sort of like men's football or such in the football pyramid? I don't, I don't know
1: any of them. Um, People said to me about when you come here it must be great of being involved in a no pressure situation. Well, I wouldn't say that. I'm glad you wouldn't. I've never felt no, so nowhere. much pressure. Um, yeah. But like, it's a really... But feels very. Uh, it makes you feel alive in terms of um, you. You feel as if the players are are dependent on you for so much, and then um, you're having to provide arguably be the best manager in history with players that he requires on a daily basis in whatever format he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's an amazing guy, but but has like certain things that have to be done well. Yeah, yeah of <laughs> course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's right. Or else yeah. you get the stare. like yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. And when you get the stare, like it's time stands still. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't want to see that again. And then, mm-hmm. then he makes you feel so comfortable in the next moment because he has this amazing personal quality. But that's that's a form of professional pressure, I think, that you have to deal with. But uh, I'm probably going off topic, but uh, there's so many challenges that the players face, you just feel as if you have to be always in a position where you can help them all the time.
3: It is a bigger topic question, yeah. So I think from the outside, a lot of people see the facilities that City have, and, and in terms of the academy, and they believe that as a consequence, the players get too used to this and they can't do it elsewhere, and that things are too easy. Like, what would you say to somebody that maybe believes that to be true? I think it's fair. I think I think it's very I, I think it's something we have to be
1: aware of. I think um, I think the, the longer that you're here, I think uh, I think you can become so used to it. I think and think it's the norm. And the other challenge I believe that is the players become so used to winning, that can either be um, a positive in terms of the perception is you're creating winners who like to win all the time. But really, as we know in professional sport, when you go somewhere else, you play for another team. It's not yeah, going to like happen. That, you know? yeah. and how we prepare the players to deal with that failure or that disappointment in terms of how they act and behave is very much at the forefront of my mind because I, th- I think it's so important that they understand what it's like to to have difficult situations or difficult parts of their careers and they have to have um, these tools to cope with that in the next stage of our career. But I think in here, it's it's, it's definitely a yeah. bubble because of how the place is amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And everything is so is so great here and, and you're getting to train with uh, the best players in the
3: world on a regular basis, mm. but it's not really reality for a lot of players because it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I, I, t- I totally agree. And I think from my perspective on it all, I think there were people who came up in those plat Lane days and people who will be here today who have something within them to whereby the facilities don't matter. Absolutely. You know, and I think that's the thing that some people forget because they think that everybody that comes here will just absorb this and think this is the only way to do football. But there's a certain devil within you that needs to exist for you to make it to the top level. I think it's interesting because you get a chance to see them all. Yeah. And they must show you little glimpses on a day-to-day basis whereby, you know, they don't necessarily need to be winning every single day to understand that there's more to football than just that. I think
1: there's a lot. Of, like I know, like I won't reference all, but like Rochdale was a very small club, with no budget and no pitches. Um, but the the players we produced, it, it wasn't impacted by the lack of facilities because the players were so hungry to to progress and get the opportunity to, to train on pitches like CFA or play at stadiums like Academy Stadium. We play at Academy Stadium in those league games, and it's it's like it's, it's the best stadium I've ever been in my life. You go into the coaches' room and it's like. Uh, it's like it's like being in 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 in, in the Bernabeu or cam, Nou. The facilities are amazing, but it's not normal, really, is it? Like in the, some like Oscar Bob came from Valarenga, and said to me the facilities in Valarenga are um, for Norway are good, but like in comparison to here, it's like there's just no comparison. Um, so I think there's something in always being conscious of, of what's happening and preparing our players for.
2: But we can use the loan system as well, can we? I think of Tommy Doyle, James Mcatee
1: this year, for example, yeah. they've
2: gone out on loan and and they're and getting to experience. Showing,
1: yeah, and James has shown like a real. Uh, a really good capacity to overcome adversity because I think the start of that loan was a shock to his system. Going to playing for the Blades in, in the Championship, where they have um, a really established squad and 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 the league is so competitive. And and I think definitely he would tell you for the first uh, three months he was blown away by what it was like. But I suppose then what the people at the top of our club will see is how they adapt and um, and 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 overcome that. And he's definitely shown that to be I think pretty significant player for them at the end of the season. Absolutely. So, yeah.
2: It is an interesting question that elite academy versus non elite. I mean. For example, John Stones is a player of obviously in, in City's first team, one of the best. He came through Barnsley's academy, was there from from being a very young child. He played 49 games for Barnsley, and then he was signed by a Premier League club anyway. <laughs> um, would he have got those 49 games at age 17 if he'd been at City? Maybe that's that's sometimes a question, isn't it? Mm.
1: In- England are definitely saying, aren't they? Like um, the numbers are showing that they're Harry Maguire, same play was a Sheffield in League One. Like a lot of those defenders are getting that exposure at younger ages. Because one of the challenges we still face is our best 17 or 18 year old centre backs will have no experience of heading the ball or being involved in aerial duels. Yeah. And yeah. we played in the EFL Trophy at Mansfield um, in the first game. Nigel Clough was the manager. He was laughing, like, because, like, <laughs> like the first. <laughs> Welcome, yeah. Yeah, the first three goal kicks, like, they had a friend of mine was playing right wing, Lucas Aikens. He's a great guy. But, like, six foot two right winger, like, so good, so powerful, and, like, the keeper's kicking it on his head and like our lads are going up like so green like up for yeah, a lovely yeah, you know, yeah the post yeah, 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 yeah. and Luke yeah. just put his arm across the chin yeah. like and like they flick it into our box Like and before you knew it was like 2-0 down and we're like chasing the game and you catch it's, you, I'm I'm thinking of ways to like try and recreate those situations as often as possible to try and get more exposure into our defensive players I think particularly more often in the season because it's just such an, uh, an important dude if we can loan them out Yeah up.
2: He is incredible Pep isn't he? I mean for you to be working just to give, give us a flavour of kind of how that relationship works because he, he's looking to the academy more and more, isn't he? Because we're producing better players as the academy has existed for longer. So I think he looks at uh, he looks at you and and the work that you do, and he wants to know who the next good players are, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, I think he, yeah, I think he does. I think he's so obsessed at practicing the, going the things that you just referenced. I think he wants to have our lads there so often to provide a relevant test to the players that these uh, pictures or patterns or routines become. Second nature. Um, we before we before we played against um, Southampton a couple of weeks back. You know our lads were replicating that uh, defensive positioning of Southampton, and, and they gave it a good goal. Well, obviously we can't compete with these players because the physical difference is so big. But they gave it a good go and and, and and caused um, a lot of problems. And you could sense that Pep was very pleased about uh, how difficult it was for the players because they're really engaged uh, two or three days before a game and thinking this is going to be hard. And then when it came to the game on the Saturday evening, it was a half five. I watched that and I thought there was a lot of similarities in terms of what Southampton had done to us but the players just look so sharp and so prepared and, and like the movements were almost like second nature and it's just so recognizable from what he had practiced and had come to life in the game it was like it's inspiring to see and then I think there's still that that creative uh, impulsive action in the last moment where like Kevin will make a certain run yeah. at a certain time yeah. but like um, that is rehearsed but at the moment that Kevin goes is just like that uh, he was that feeling doesn't he or that sense of when it's right it's instinct- and then that synchronized uh um, understanding between him, him and Erling and, and Jack and it's just like, it, I think it, it takes a lot of practice, doesn't it? But then like the actual skill level to uh, implement it is uh is probably one of the most uh, significant things for me that I'm seeing from him in terms of, you know, almost like seeing the value in practice and repetition and then saying to the players, we practice these things and now the time to implement it or, or for you to use your, um your football knowledge and skills to implement it is kind of over to you and it, it creates, I think, a, a healthy, um, healthy balance between being prepared and, and, and not being robotic. Yeah
2: what about his intensity because whenever i'm around him he's like no one i've ever come across so as a coach you look at him and do you, do you think that's how i've got to be or i've got to be more like that or is no, that just is that unique to him as I a think person so. yeah yeah
1: you you, you probably spend as much time with him as, as i do i think the um the feelings i got around them are um nervousness sometimes wanting to provide him with exactly what he wants so you want to please him because he's so good, but then, like I said, he has this um, ability to make you feel very relaxed and and very valued with a single gesture or um or, or word. I think that must be a pretty uh, good skill. Yeah, gift. Yeah, a gift, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is, yeah. I don't know what it is, but like um like I said, to you, you can get to stare or do something wrong, and all of a sudden you think, oh, this is yeah. And then like yeah. within a second, like it's like you're thinking like yeah, yeah. I've seen him like the personal touch with our players. A lot of times, some of our our players will be doing um. Like tactical shape for like if he wants it to be longer it goes on forever mm-hmm. and like the players are, you can see the players like are like physically at, are gone but like at the end of the session like he'll give them all um, that individual touch and, and they go away thinking like well you know I, I served a lot of value today in this preparation for the, for the, for the guys and because they're preparing for, for games of such magnitude uh, the players can then watch um, the action unfold and see if what the guys have practiced comes to life
2: So our last guest Owen Hargreaves he left a question you uh, didn't know he was you. he was coming on. We we don't tell um, the person. But his question was: Was there a moment on the football field or training field, whatever it might be, where you thought, "I'm I'm a professional now. I've I've made it. I'm, I know what I'm doing." Did you have that light bulb moment um,
1: at any point? No. And making me think about the um, the contrast between being uh, having a limited mindset and also being aware of stuff. Aware. I thought I must be doing okay when I got selected for, for the Irish Under 21 team because um, I was playing football uh, for six or seven years and before I came to being an Under 21, and it was locally. I had played hurling previously, an Irish sport, and I thought I knew I was amazing at that. Um, so I was the best in my school at hurling. I was one of the best in the county, and I thought I can play this game and be the best about But when I played football, it was slightly different. I wasn't ahead of the rest of my schoolmates and peers. But I think when I got picked for the Irish Under 21 team, uh, it was unusual in the sense that most of the players playing for that team would be coming back from the big clubs in England to play for their country on 21. So we'd have like two or three homegrown players that would be playing and I was one of them. So I think that was probably the time when I thought like, might just try and get serious with this and see if I can go back and try and progress with a career in, in the UK and, and treat it seriously. That was probably the moment where I thought, I'm okay at this now.
2: So we we ask uh, every guest the same three questions. So here's the first one. If you could change one rule about football, what would it be? At
1: the moment? Yeah. I, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely change the um, the, the accumulation of bookings in European competition, you know, where you miss a game. Yeah. I saw that affect some of our young players. I suppose you could say, you could argue it's preparing them for what they're going to face later on in their career, but I saw lads in tears at the prospect of missing a semi-final because they've had two bookings, so I just don't think there's any point to it. Too harsh. I just don't see any relevance to what it's teaching them. I think like two bookings being sent off in a game, fine, but if you're going to get that in European competition and then you miss a game, I don't I don't
3: see what's the point of it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a
2: good one. Okay. Next one is. Oh, I, know, I
3: know you didn't say mine was a good one,
1: did
2: you? Yours is. Yours nah, was so obvious.
3: Move on. Move on. You've had your time. You've had your <laughs> Everyone's time. Everyone's talking fair. about yours. No, nah, That's nah, fine. I, I know where the door the is. The next one sure. is
2: what if? What was the last thing that you binged, like series on Netflix, a book, or you know, anything basically that you really got into? I,
1: I enjoyed the Last Dance. I loved. I watched that. I enjoyed it. Yeah, something about the um, Phil Jackson. there was Something about what he was saying was almost like uh, again, just like things he was saying. I was thinking, ah, yeah. About the way he dealt with different players, and uh, and the robin story about when he just went to Vegas and disappeared, and and and, and the consternation that caused in the camp with Jordan and people. Yeah, it I was enjoy. also
2: really cool, Phil Jackson. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. really liked it. Yeah, yeah. And he was a bit of Mancini about. It. Not, I mean, he went okay. on and had much more success. Than, uh, than, than Mancini the you said it you but, said Mancini's Phil Jackson but he did no he no no, no but he did. that was it that was Rob he, that was Rob Phil Jackson was the guy he kind of changed the mentality you know yeah. after a long time of of struggles yeah. he was the guy who, who turned the screw and that's kind of the way I view what Mancini did here yeah. and then the last one is if you could ask our next guest any question what would
1: it be and we're not going to tell you who, who our guest is I would say what are the most significant uh, changes you've seen at this club in, in whatever period yeah and what are the pros and cons of that? Fantastic. See, the it's little for bit Rob. A like no, like yeah. little
3: bit. No, I A little bit the unsealed the deal. Yeah, yeah, like that. And pros, pros and cons? And cons yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask Rob that one on the plan the flight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Any yeah. Man City questions? I asked him. Yeah, all, yeah, of that's course. That's our relationship. Performance. Of course. Yeah, of course. Of course. Of course, yeah. course. Yeah. Of course.
2: Yeah. Brian, I really enjoyed that. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Yeah, really good. Thank you.
1: The official Manchester City podcast.
2: That was Brian Barry Murphy there, our under-21s manager. Okay, now it's time to switch attentions to the under-18s. So here's our conversation with Ben Wilkinson and his father, Howard. I want to go back, Ben, to when you were young and I'm presuming that uh, your dad and the career that he had was inspirational to you and has has been a catalyst for for the career you've got. Do you want to just take us back to kind of
0: how your interest in football started and, and the role that your dad played in that? Yeah, spot on in terms of it was certainly the catalyst for me and my sort of love of the game. All my earliest memories are basically of of football, and obviously my dad was at Leeds at the time, so I can remember it really, really clearly. I can sort of remember from the age of three, four, going to games, watching games, like and just being obsessed with it. Really, like into every detail. Yeah, it was just like yeah, love at first sight, really, uh, and that carried on. I think until. I think I was nine when dad left Leeds. So that's sort of early seven, eight years. I went to so many games. I was fortunate enough to be able to see the training ground. Um, Even just, I remember like car journeys where you'd be on the phone and I was just taking it all in. And um, yeah, I was really, really fortunate in in terms of what I was able to see at such a young age because it was almost like it was just normal. But it was, when I look back now, I was incredibly privileged and fortunate to see all of the, the... details that I did and it certainly was just a massive spark for me in terms of getting into football and wanting to play football and further down the line trying to sort of get involved in coaching. Uh, Howard, in
3: regards to Ben, did you want him to be a footballer and also does that mean that he was one of the best coach kids that was trying to achieve that goal of being a professional?
4: I'll answer the second one first, I never coached him. Okay, how come? Just circumstances, I was working in uh, Leeds most of the time Ben was in Sheffield what with that and school etc so there's very little time and anyway I didn't think it was appropriate that me as a coach and manager am coaching a boy who I think should be enjoying just playing forget what to do and where to go just play Mm -hmm. and he was obsessed okay did he get that from you he got that, up. no, do you know what? I think he got it from his mum more than me because... Oh, uh, he's, he's not sure about that.
3: He's not sure. I think he
4: thinks it's you. She was uh, very, very keen and keen for him to, uh, not so much football, but to make sure that he was uh, had one eye on sport of some sort because she recognised the benefits of that. Uh, but obviously, when your father's a manager, and I was fortunate in the fact that I was at Leeds longer than a lot of people these days last at clubs. So for him, it it, it was a sort of permanent fixture for a long time and television and so on. So no, no wonder it was all he wanted to do. And in fact, when he was 16, there was a big debate stroke argument with regard to whether he joins as an apprentice Or where he stays at school. Mum wanted him to stay at school and I managed to convince her that uh, a life in football, however long or short, is a very good education for whatever it is you want to do afterwards. So I won by devious methods really.
0: (laughs) Are you glad that your dad won that argument? Yeah, because I think I was maybe a bit of a stroppy teenager at that point but I was, I was sort of the, the argument I was trying to sort of force with my mum was that if you stay at school and try the uh, apprentice route like you end up sort of not succeeding to your potential on both because you're not in school enough because you're playing football and you miss too much football because you're dipping in and out so i I think i went down the line of you only get one shot of being a footballer as you can always come back on the old academic route so yeah i think i don't i think we won that argument in the end didn't we quite yeah quite easily do you see he said maybe i was a stroppy teenager like where's the maybe, doubt yeah. were you or were you I don't, no? I don't think i was that bad that's why i said it well
3: let's let's ask somebody that may know was he a stroppy teenager
0: um
4: i didn't seem enough to know whether he was stroppy or not but my okay. my guess is definitely not because really okay no, no. his mum was the the ruler okay in our house okay without a shadow of a doubt so she had the final say and the first and the one in the middle, yeah, of course, yeah, of course.
2: <laughs> Howard, you mentioned something I was going to ask you about. There, you, you talked about when you were at Leeds, you had time to build time that perhaps managers don't get today. You would, you had the luxury there of of having a period to to build up mm. that league league title victory. Do you think managers need to be given more time, or do you understand the pressures on owners these days, whereby they need to make changes quicker? I
4: understand the pressures on owners, but at the same time, I don't think it's good for the game I think that um, I don't think they do enough research with regard to who I mean when I join Leeds I only join Leeds on the basis that having spoken to the chairman Leslie Silver on in about four secret meetings that I went into Leeds with a five and ten year plan With regard to the whole club, it just wasn't as it is these days. It was centre of excellence as it was then, but but academy as it later became, and youth development. And he gave me, although they were at that point, before I joined them, about third bottom in the second division, or what's now the division one. it, It was crazy because... I had about five meetings with him and at the end of that, those five meetings we discussed or I'd engaged him in the idea that if you do it right, it's right for life. To that extent we had a five year plan and a ten year plan and we'd have seen the ten year plan through but unfortunately had a very, very terrible armed robbery at home and uh, after about seven and a half years, and after that, he uh, he was never as strong as he was before, nor as enthusiastic. So that was a shame. But in essence, uh, in fact, the last meeting we had, um, I said, "So there you have it. If I do come, there's a short way, uh, and there's a long way, a long road. The long road's better, but I suppose the short way is more attractive." And uh, he said, what's the difference between the two? I said, well, between five and 10 million.
2: Ben, how proud are you of the job that your dad did at Leeds because to go into a a second division club and end up winning the title, the last Englishman to win the title as well, which is remarkable that we still sat here today and another Englishman hasn't won it. But how proud were you at the
0: time and and, and how proud are you today? Uh, It's probably difficult at the time because I didn't quite realise the magnitude of it. But I guess when you look at it now, it'd be the equivalent of someone currently sitting at the bottom end of the championship winning the Premier League within three years. You know, it was like there would be bottom end of the championship now, win the championship next year, top four in the Premier League the year after, win the Premier League the year after, which like, unthinkable. Very yeah. yeah, that's kind of the best way really to describe it. I think so. When you look back at that, and also like the longevity after that in terms of what we experience now, like you talked about in terms of how long a manager gets. to be at a club of that stature for nine years was it was an incredible achievement you know when you when you look back and like i said at the time i didn't really probably understand the bigger picture stuff and um the sort of the the magnitude of it but yeah it it was incredible for me to watch and myself my my family you know we're all really really proud of what dad achieved and and the sort of the the way the his standing within the game now amongst his peers and um it's amazing Ben how did your move to City come about I was working at Sheffield Wednesday at the time I was taking the under 18s there and some jobs came up here across the academy but in particular the 21s Simon Davis had just gone from the 21s coach to head of coaching they basically the the jobs were available I knew one or two people here already who I spoke to and they sort of said you should apply so I applied went through an interview process in terms of a formal interview a pitch interview etc and then I, it ended up with me being offered a role as the 21s assistant was that with Paul That's with Paul, yeah. Paul Harsley, yeah yeah so it's yeah quite it was quite a, it was a very strict um rigorous process in terms of I've, I've, I've not been to a lot of interviews anyway but it was uh it was quite comprehensive in terms of you know the the different areas you were you were challenged on um but it resulted in me Ending, ended up working with Paul for two years with the 21s. And then in terms of the style of play we play here, because we, we we try and play, I mean,
2: obviously we you tweak systems depending on who you're playing, but there's a general way that we play and a, a general approach. How much of that was already the way that you saw the game and how much have
0: you kind of adapted to the ways that City want to do things? Um, yeah, it's a great question. Um, there's definitely some similarities in terms of... Uh, you know in an ideal world how you'd like a team to play and how they'd like you'd want a team to represent you as a coach um, at Sheffield Wednesday we we, we, we did play a cert, in a certain way but obviously we had limitations in terms of trying to play the way we play at City because we didn't have the level of player so again that touched on earlier a little bit in terms of understanding what the players strengths were um, what sort of profile of players you had in, in your squad and then trying to play to those strengths and also fall in line with what what the club wanted, and what did a, a Sheffield Wednesday player need to look like, or if he wasn't going to play at Sheffield Wednesday, what qualities did he need to to succeed elsewhere? Um, and there's certainly a vast difference in that to what you need, what the player that we get here. It takes a while to get used to. I think once you walk through the door here, in terms of the level of player um, and the ability they have, for sure the 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 le- the technical and tactical ability that the players have got is absolutely fantastic um and a lot of credit for that which I don't I don't think it gets sort of given enough is is down to the program i remember the the first week i, I worked with the under 16s so i went from under 21s to the under 16s and that 16s group was Rico Lewis's group so like Rico and then still players who are in the 18s now like Nico O'Reilly some players in the 21s Jadell Will Dixon, there's, there's many who have been here since they were that young. I, I was astounded by how good they were in my first week of working with them. But at that point, they'd have been 15. Um, and I remember working and doing things in training. And I, I quickly realized I, I didn't need to stop and coach a, a lot of the things because they were almost ahead. A um, Their the technical, tactical intelligence is is very, very impressive. and that allows us then say, say 18s and 21s to to really try and um be in synergy with the first team um and and produce players that are capable of playing our first team um and also have skill sets to go and compete elsewhere with it in a first low move or a, yeah. a permanent move in some in some eyes of players that are now leaving here at 16 17 18 for big money and going elsewhere so yeah it's 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 almost like we're put, putting the finishing touches to some great work that's been done lower down.
3: What are the things that you think need to be added to a youngster at 16 who's exceptional to make them playable in a first-team situation, whether it's at City or somewhere in the pyramid? Good question. Oh, cheers, mate. Thank you. Oh, Thank out. you so, very much. Out. I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: It really depends on the individual. If you look at someone like Rico, who's absolutely flow he's going to be the best example we've got, he had a year in the 18s Played a little bit of 21s football, but not a lot, and played in a position which throughout the whole year would be, is very similar to what the manager is asking him to do now. Yep. very similar, and it, it, his level was just that high that I, I you, you did I did think if he had that opportunity to go and train with them, like as an example, he was capable. We have other players in the system, for example, where it's a lot harder. I think, like if Rico was at another club. As a five foot eight cent, uh, fullback yeah in the championship but a, a club that didn't play the way we played would he be playing in their first team at 17 18 maybe not despite his technical level because he'd have to like he, he'd have to defend 25 crosses a game at the back post et yep. cetera et cetera does he have to do that with us probably not because we have the ball so much therefore his strengths are are really highlighted each player has a different path. Each position is a, is a different journey in terms of when they're ready. Like each player's profile, physically, technically, tactically, is different. So, we've worked really hard to have sort of individual maps for these players over four or five years about what what year one when they come in when they finish school it looks a lot like. Year two, year three, et cetera. Obviously So, doesn't always stick to them, but um, it is a challenge trying to map everyone's journey and try and get the right uh, appropriate level of challenge and also then be able to try and predicts where they're at in their journey and if they're ready to go and play first team football.
2: In terms of the academy system then, because there are some criticisms around the of the academy system in England that um, we don't have a B team system and that our youngsters aren't tested against men's football necessarily. What changes would you like to see in 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 the way the academy system in in England works as somebody who's been an architect of, you know,
4: of the academy system. Uh, structurally I, I, I don't think I'd like to see too many changes that would make a big difference. In other words, big changes, structurally. I do think that what, what we don't do as well as we might is determine just how good he can be. And that's why I'm not that uh, keen on having fierce competition at an early age. I think that by the time you get to 14, 15, 16, 17, you, you need to be starting to learn how to win. How to win. And by that, I mean how to win other than by having the best players. You know, it's one thing to go in the schoolyard and have a ball and we, we've got 50 kids in that schoolyard we're all good footballers and they go and play. But the goals are at one end and goals at the other end and it's a goalie when necessary. There's no touchlines. That's that's that part of it. But when it comes to actually the career side of it, um, again, I, I look at other countries and, and uh, unfortunately, I can't know anything about it now, but we've got, we've now got five leagues with full-time players in, um, which is takes a lot of servicing to find players, as it were, good enough to play in those leagues. But recognizing that, that of course, that there's a different level. So I think if if you look at what's now Division Five in England, and you went over to uh, Germany or whatever, they'd be playing maybe part time. Uh, so it's it's. It's slightly different here. But what, for me, Pep's done, which I, I think is is one of his strengths, he's come here with a clear picture of what it is he wants to do and how he wants to do it. You've got to remember, but on that basis, he's also come here knowing that the people above and whatever are happy to say, there you are, tell us what we need to do to make this system work for us, and that's where you do need someone, as it were, out—not just the manager, but outside of that—who's coordinating it to making sure, making sure that we are all on the same message. Because I, you know, I think that sometimes the competitive stuff starts too early. In terms of, I don't mean starts too early in terms. Of, it don't matter if we don't win. It don't matter if we, I'm not on about that. But I'm on about, as it were. Um, I see too many coaches in development football, uh, even in the, the, the league that, um, that Man City in, where they come to play Man City and it's kick the ball out 300 yards and take 20 minutes to get it back and start playing again. And I think that's not, you're not doing best by them. Because they might not be as good as Man City, but your job is to make them as good as they can be. Who was the most talented player that you managed
2: in terms of technical and natural ability? Goes back a long way, that.
4: Not, not. I'm not saying there's just one, but when I went to Noss County, I joined them in January and next season we got promoted to the first division because I'd watched them from Christmas through to the end of the season, because I was working the EFA. So when we started the next season, I got them in seven weeks early, and that didn't go down. To... You
3: said seven weeks earlier, just to seven weeks. Seven pre-season. weeks. You were known
4: for working players hard. Uh, a... No, working them smart. <laughs> working them smart. There's a, there's a, there's <laughs> Come on. A... I what had a difference. player, and I, I inherited a player there called Masson, Don Masson. Again, out of the second, second division, we were pass, 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 pass. Just pass, pass, pass. You know, we played Ipswich one day. Uh, Bob was manager, Bobby Robson. We scored a goal where Avramovic rolled the ball out. We made something like 20 to 4 passes and in at the other end. And Bobby got up out of the dugout, came up to my dugout, our dugout, and congratulated us on our playing. But when we go into the first division, the season after, by Christmas, We were second bottom of the first division. But fortunately, we had heavy snow for about three weeks, which gave me time to have a rethink. And I sat those players down and said, listen, fellas, if we keep doing what we're doing, we'll keep getting what we did, which is beat. So we're going to have to change. But you've got to want to change. So you tell me, do do we want to stay bottom or do we want to get out of it?
2: It's an incredible statistic that you're the last English manager to win the top flight in this country does it make you sad in some ways that that is a fact that no I mean obviously we were talking before Kevin Keegan came close Bobby um, you know did quite well with Newcastle etc but does it almost make you sad that we haven't managed to produce another title winning manager who is who is English don't make me sad
4: It, it, it is what it is if you'd just said what you'd said but instead about a manager you'd said it about a team in particular the England team (laughs) then I would you know I would like to think that the guy who's in charge is the bloke who can best do what it takes to be a successful international manager And and at the moment I think one of the big reasons for our success is that when Gareth Gareth came to the FA, that first time I remember, you know, sitting in the car with him going to a match in I don't know it's Norway, Denmark, and talking about going forward in international football and and explaining, giving him my view that if you look at international football and you look at club football, there are Massive differences in some cases, and I remember sitting down with Redknapp, Stevie Gerrard when they were 17, and saying and explaining to them, "Look, we're not going to have a different manager now every year. That this manager is going to be with you till he gets to the under 21s, and then it because we think there are certain very important fundamentals necessary for success in international football." Ben, we've got a few questions
2: we ask every guest. So, uh, first one we always ask is, if you could change one rule about football, what would it be?
0: That's already off mentioned actually. Something that really frustrates me in this job, but it maybe wouldn't necessarily frustrate me in in, in other jobs as, as such, is that whenever, in a large proportion of our games, the time-wasting is... Just,
3: really? I can't even begin to fathom like, time-wasting like, at that ridiculous. level. Ridiculous. Is it that bad? Like, okay.
0: Especially away games, like... One ball, you know, goalkeepers doing taking ages. Like even like clearly obvious stuff, like players going down with cramp. Get, managers got them all in. Like and it, what 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 frustrates me about it is like a little bit that the opposition are doing it, but not too much because I actually think for our players it's a good education. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like fun. they're going to get it a lot in the first team. Yeah. But like, I think we've lost twice this year, 18s in the league, and one of them was away at Everton early early doors. We lost one nil. They scored a goal early on. And it was just unbelievable. And like our players struggled to deal with it a little bit that day. So I don't mind that side of it because it's part of us, our, the education. But the failure of the referees to sort of manage the game appropriately really frustrates me. Because like for me, at under 18 football, you need to start. Yeah. It's, it's our job, job to, to start teaching the players about the transition to first team football and stuff like that. And they just don't officiate the game properly. So if there was one rule change that I'd have in terms of the level, it would be to. Have some sort of way of managing ball in play. I thought it was really interesting at the World Cup in the early games mm, where yeah, we were getting like huge amounts yeah. of injury time. I, I, that would soon stamp it out, I think. If you know, we were at the end of how long's left 10, after 45 10, minutes, 11, like 10 12 minutes, minutes. Yeah, like I think that would make a bit, cause it because it's really frustrating for us at our level in our team, I have to say.
2: What was the last thing that you binged like podcast, film, book, series, whatever?
0: I'm in a stage of life at the minute we've got two young kids so um like tv series have gone on the back burner a little bit because it's just about going to sleep when you can so I'm probably listening to a lot of podcasts at the moment yeah um so I quite like listening to a lot there's a lot of different ones going around in sport in terms of like high performance podcasts and and things like that and also my, my wife actually gets me listening to some Some good ones as well, which are more... uh, Which are in terms of maybe non-sport, but it's one eye on business or life or um, politics and stuff like that. So I actually get quite a lot of influences from her now on the... Podcasts are quite a big one for me at the moment. And the final one is, if you could ask our next guest anything, we're not going to tell you who it is, what would
2: that question be? And we've also got a question from our last guest for you to finish with. But if you could ask our next guest... Whoever that may be, one question they'll be based in football.
0: What would you okay. ask? Uh, I'll go. Who should be the next manager at City and why? Yeah. Oh, that, oh my that's goodness. the best one we've had
2: yet. <laughs> that is good. so. I'll, I can tell you our last guest was, and it's a colleague of yours, Brian Barry Murphy. His question was, and yeah. correct me if yeah, correct me Could if this is uh, inaccurate." He said, "City's development and growth in the last ten years." What have you noticed the most about that, and what are the pros and cons of of those improvements? Is that is that what he asked? Just paraphrasing, yeah. kind of, yeah. Yeah. So, like, we obviously this club has changed rapidly. How has it changed in in you know in your experience, but also what are the pros and cons of 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 those changes?
3: So this is that's an absolute grenade of a question, by the way. Now yeah, that you, knew it's been he said. Was, you knew what he yeah. was
0: doing, Brian. Yeah, you knew yeah. what he was doing. I rem- I remember when. A- Again, going back to your first question, when my dad was at Leeds and I was a young boy, I remember going to Main Road um, and seeing what the club was like then in mm-hmm. terms of very hard place to go, in terms of like as a, as a visiting team. I don't think we did very well there, did we, at Leeds? There's a couple of times I remember we had some really bad days, and but what Main Road was, where it was compared to like what you walk walking like when I've met my dad here today it's, another level. It, it's just unbelievable how far they've come you know like the training ground yeah all the regeneration of the local area and what that has has created as well in terms of jobs buildings infrastructure like for them to be where they were not even like it, relatively short space of time ago and like you know last night we've just qualified for our third successive champions league final won four out of the last five premier 15 years ago to say that we'd have overtaken united in terms of was just you'd have laughed wouldn't you like it it was impossible to think that so I just think what the club is now in terms of what it all around the world in terms of the clubs and the city football group is it's a really impressive if you were doing a case study on how to sort of build a football club up I I don't think you could go far wrong with what the the board have have managed to implement here and even like this place now we've probably even out we actually haven't got enough space now you know like which when someone said that when they designed it, it was crazy. But with the growth of the women's game, feels uh, like we're the women's academy, yeah. the boys' academy, the first team, like and thankfully all of those strands of the club are uh, sort of going in the right uh, trajectory. So I just think it's an incredible story what they've managed to do, and also um the fact that when they're being successful, they're not just stopping. Yeah, it's constantly going again. Um, whether that be with first team playing squads adding more clubs increasing the stadium like they just announced the, the plans this week it's always like what's next what's next and sort of being ahead of the rest and in that that area I think is, is unbelievable what they're doing that will do us thank you very much for taking the time to come and speak to us Ben
2: and Howard Wilkinson thank you for being with us thanks enjoyed it
1: the official Manchester City podcast
2: that was Ben and Howard Wilkinson there wrapping up our Academy special. Naidem, thoughts after those two?
3: Yeah, really interesting. Everything that I hoped it would be and then also speaking with Howard Wilkinson. Obviously, he's not in relation to, say, modern day football, but he's so consequential in the history of football itself. So to get the chance to share a room with those guys and speak to them, it was uh, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, it's not often you get to uh,
2: share a room with someone who's won the league title in England, uh, which of course Howard has done. But also what came through to me with both Brian and Ben actually was the very very clear way of playing football they've got a very Manchester City focus but they have very clear ideas about how they want their young players to play don't they
3: yeah for sure and I think as well as that they know that the players who are at the academy are talented but talent itself is not going to be the only reason why they make it so they need to and they do really well in terms of teaching them what it takes to get to that next step whether it's 16s to 18s, 18s to 21s, 21s to being a in training or 10 to being with the first team. And it seems like the future's very bright for Man City.
2: That's all for this episode of the official Manchester City podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever it is you do your podcast listening. That way you are not gonna miss an episode. Every time a new one drops, you're gonna be alerted. And if you haven't listened to the previous podcast, you should do now. We started with Carl Walker. We've also spoken to Scott Carson. And last time out, we were speaking to Owen Hargreaves and all three of those episodes have been absolutely great. So make sure you go and listen to those. Thank you for being with us. Until next time, take care and look after one another.
1: The official Manchester City podcast. Watch the full video version of this show via City Plus and recast now.